was that it was fun to sing along with Derek when he played his guitar in the dorms. In his second year, Derek Black went off to Germany to study language and history. No surprise there. While he was away, a senior at New College was doing a research project on hate groups and discovered Derek's identity. And then posted it on a message board so it spread to the entire college. When he returned from Germany, nobody would talk to him. Uh, there were folks who were aggressive against him. He even received death threats. Everybody on campus was talking about Derek Black. Nobody was interacting with him. Now, in the first year uh, at college, Matthew Stevenson had built a group of friends who met every Friday night for Shabbat dinner. They celebrated at his apartment, reading the Torah, praying together, and discussing life on campus. And of course, they talked about their former friend, Derek. Someone in that group had the crazy idea that the right thing to do would be to invite Derek to join them at their Shabbat dinner, since he had nowhere else to go on Friday nights. There were a few members in the group who said, if he's included, we're not coming anymore. Matthew Stevenson and his friend Moisha Ash, they said, you know what, this kid probably has never interacted closely with the groups that his parents have taught him to hate, and the right thing to do is to invite him, and so they did. He came, because he had nowhere else to go on Friday nights. And there were some folks in the group who decided not to come anymore, and there were a lot of people on campus who began to think differently about Matthew and wonder what, what's wrong with him to include this this awful person in their group. But, listen, for two full years, Derek was invited every Friday, and he came every single Friday, and the members of that group carefully decided not to ask him directly about what he believed because they knew what would happen. It would just drive him away. Instead, they extended grace and friendship every single week to this person that they would have thought they should keep away. After two years... Derek was actually speaking at a white power convention. He was one of the speakers there. One of the members of that group came to watch him speak, and afterward, she sat him down, and she said, it's time for me now to tell you what your ideology feels like to me and what it does to my heart. And, and listen, Derek heard every word she said. He understood. And at the group, he said, it's time for me to formally denounce my previous ideology. It's wrong. And then posted online something that everybody in that community that so respected him would read, including his family, who decided to cut all ties with Derek after they read this. I can't support a movement that tells me I can't be a friend to whoever I wish, or that people's races require me to think of them in a certain way. There is undeniable power prioritize love over everything else. Power to change people. Power to turn enemies into friends. Power to bring light into the darkness. Power to overcome evil. Do you see it? Oh, that's you think. Do you see it? It's stunning how dark the world is and how awful and powerful evil can feel, but what we fail to recognize and what I want 
you to see today is that the power of friendship, when love is the first thing, is stronger than evil. It's the strongest thing there is. And, and, and folks who know and follow Jesus should not be surprised by this because Jesus taught that the greatest love is the love that is exchanged between friends. That's why, as a church, we've been thinking about friendship for these past two months. Jesus is our Lord. We believe what he said, and he taught his followers that the strongest love, the greatest love, the, the greatest power in the world is when friends decide not to hold on to their lives tightly, but instead to have open hands and, and a willingness to lay their lives down for others, even if those others are defined as enemies, like Derek Black. Here, look at the way that Jesus spoke of the most important thing for the Christian community. This is John chapter 13, verse 35, what matters most. By this, Jesus says, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. It's easy to just hear that read, but we need to take our time with this. Listen carefully. According to Jesus, love is the indispensable mark identifying his community. Every community of people has its thing. Right? Every, every group and gathering can be identified primarily by the thing which makes them unique from all others. The characteristic of first importance in this, what we're doing here together. Because we're a community that's gathered around Christ. The most important thing is love. All other behaviors, all other beliefs, all other attitudes and actions come second. Do you know why Jesus taught this to his disciples? Any guesses why he decided to make this a lesson for them? It's because we naturally get it wrong all the time. Would you admit that? Religious communities are not known, by and large, for being extraordinarily loving. That's not what folks from the outside think of when they see religious communities. And, and instead, we naturally behave as if all kinds of other things are primary. Maybe it's being right. That's most important to us. Behaving in the right way. Believing the right things. Associating with the right people and being sure that we keep our distance from the wrong people. This is what we, I, naturally prioritize. But to be Jesus' community, we will have to fight the impulse to put anything other than love first. Now think of yourself. If you're a part of this community, Renaissance Church, don't think of somebody else. Think of you. If you're just visiting here with us and, and you're curious, what do Christians really at, at, at bottom believe? Here it is. We are called our whole life long as a church to struggle with every impulse in us that will make us want to put something else first. And I'm absolutely sure of this, that wherever people are gathered together around Christ, they will still always be feeling the impulse to make something other than love first. Can you feel that in your own heart? Uh, try, if it's hard to imagine, try to picture your own version of a Derek Black if you are Matthew Stevenson. And imagine the challenge as a Jewish, an Orthodox Jewish student, opening your table to a white supremacist. Try to think about how hard that would be. Uh, by the way, does it sound familiar? A 
Jewish guy sitting down at his table with the wrong kind of people. For all of us, it'll be true. And, and here's how we know this without any question. If you read the Bible, if you read the New Testament, which are the very earliest writings that we have about the earliest Christian churches, you will find that in the letters that are written to the Christian churches in the New Testament, that those communities also consistently struggled with the impulse to make something other than love first. It's true in almost every letter that you read in the New Testament that's written to a church. Some are more obvious than others. If you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, that letter that was written to the Corinthian church, it starts out in the very first chapter that already this group of people that had believed in Jesus, accepted the gospel, had been freed by the grace and love of God in Christ, their sins forgiven, their identities made new, but immediately, in the absence of Paul, they began to behave as if other things came first, other than love. Right off the bat, correct doctrine was one of the things that they behaved as if this is the most important thing. And you can see it because there were there were folks who behaved as if believing the right thing was the most important, and factions in that church developed around the teaching of different church leaders. Apollos, Cephas, or Paul. It's in the first chapter of the letter. They started to behave as if the most important thing was associating with the teacher whose beliefs were exactly right. Does that happen in our day still? Of course it does. Right? I know a lot of you are like, Pastor Vito, no, no, Jared, no, Michelle, well, I like Christian best. It's happening. <laughs> Not in our church because we're perfect, right? Okay. For others, it was freedom from the law that became primary. That was the main thing they said. The, the identifying mark of Christians is that because Jesus came and freed us not only from sin but also from the law, we're free to do whatever we want. And so there was a man in that church sleeping with his mother-in-law. And there were other men in that church who went and frequented prostitutes. And they justify it by saying, well, look, for Christians, the main thing is freedom from the law. And then they were doing whatever they wanted. Uh, there were still others in that church who prioritized the spiritual gifts. They, they said, look, the people who are the best in the church are the ones who have the gifts of prophecy or spiritually inspired speech or gifts of knowledge. Folks with these charismatic gifts felt superior, and then they judged and wrote off other people in their church. In every one of these cases, the root was the same exact problem, and it wasn't just a problem in Corinth. It'll be a problem in Springfield, in every place that you gather with other Christians. It'll always be a temptation to make something other than love the primary characteristic that identifies us as a church or as people of faith. And when you do that, listen now, this is what Jesus teaches. When you do that, when you prioritize anything over love, even the most important activities of faith become absolutely meaningless. Okay, Paul says it uh, with detail, actually, as you go further along in the letter of 1 Corinthians, when you get to the 13th chapter, and here, let's look together at what he says about the, the superior value of love. This is 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy god or a clanging symbol. Now, for Paul, the man who wrote these words, speech is at the very heart of his gospel work. Words are the most important thing that he's got. He's a preacher and a teacher sent by God to talk about what Jesus did, to speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels means to speak with divine power behind his words. But look at what he says 
Here he goes on, look at verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. The spiritual gifts he enumerates here are of extraordinary value. If we could only have these gifts, God would use them to build up our church so we could do his work in the world, and we should pray for prophetic powers, for the ability to understand wisdom and mysteries, for, for the faith that's strong enough to move a mountain to do something that other people can see. But again, the value of every spiritual deed apart from love is zero before God. It's worth nothing. It's exactly the same even with the most extraordinary acts of self-sacrifice. Look at verse 3. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Imagine this. Try to imagine being so committed to serving Jesus that you were willing to give up absolutely everything you have, and not just your possessions, but your own body. You were that completely and totally selfless if you did that, but didn't have love, even though you gave everything, nothing at all is gained. You see how profoundly important love is. All of the virtues that we should pursue as Jesus' followers count for nothing without it, where love, love is not an emotion, but a deed, an action. Think of it like this, where love is the decision to work for the benefit of another person without any thought of what it will cost you personally and without any hope of getting a reward for yourself. Love like that. Like Jesus loves you. And he does. That is the bedrock of our call to love. It is that each and every one of us, just as we are right now, just where you are, are an object of God's love, not because you've gotten things right or because you behaved in the right way or believed the right thing, but simply because you personally are his creation. That you, who are utterly contingent, your being came into this world because God, the one who is transcendent and not contingent on anything else, decided that you were worth bringing into being and you are the object of his love. And, and the call from him to you and to me and to us is to lay down our lives as we choose to love the people around us. What that means, this is where we're going to get concrete, what that means is that if, he, if we're going to be a community that has any value at all in God's eyes, love comes first. Love that lays down its rights and its comfort and its benefits for the sake of building up, up someone else, even when that other one seems to be on the wrong side of a dangerous line. To put it very concretely, either we keep an open seat at our table for people like Derek Black, or we ourselves won't find a place at that table. Because Jesus, the Lord of, of the feast, welcomes us all. And, and all we have to do is, is be open to everyone as, as Jesus was. The challenge for us as a church, and, and I'm not being abstract or idealistic here, I don't want to be, I want to be uh, direct because I want to be a part of a community that prioritizes love as simple friendship. The challenge for us is to commit to being a community 
that prioritizes love in what we do and comes back again and again to that commitment. That's willing all of us to, to, to judge what's happening around here. By that standard, are we open as we're called to be like Jesus was and fight uh, together as long as we live, live uh, as a church to, to push away any impulse that wants us to prioritize anything else? What will it look like if we do that? What will it look like if we love? Paul says it directly in the next words in what he writes in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, you, you probably have heard these words um, at a wedding, a Christian wedding, right? You know these words, love is patient. Here, let's look at them together and don't think of a wedding. Okay, <laughs> now you're thinking of a wedding. Um, but listen, think instead of a college dorm room with a, a Shabbat table and then a group that's hating for the hater, or whatever version you have. You have one too, I do too. This is what it looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Try to picture yourself, and I'm asking you to do this now, pursuing this kind of life together with friends that God has given you. With your heart open to the Spirit's gift of patience. Patience means suffering well. So your friends will make you suffer. The question is, will you do it well? With a disposition that values kindness. And it is so easy to be mean, don't you think? But chooses kindness without any need to compare or compete Considerate and thoughtful about the needs of others. Can you can you picture that? This is what matters first of all. Here, look at what he says next. This is what love is. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Imagine Jesus leading you day by day into the kind of life with others that looks like this, willing to yield. You don't always have to have it your way. You don't need to have the last word. You are comfortable just letting go of your agenda for someone else's, freely choosing to forgive instead of resenting, completely and totally uninterested in pointing out their faults and what's wrong with them, but ready to celebrate every single little victory that the other person has as if it was your victory because you love them. Love, this is the last bit, love, it bears all things. It believes all things. Hopes all things. It endures all things. Friends, that means that love in the community of friends is the first thing, and it is also going to be the last thing. Let that sink in for a minute. I don't know, do you ever imagine what it will be like when everything comes to an end? According to these words, love will be there. Love never ends. That's the last thing. And for us, the simple invitation from God, if we're going to be a community of friendship, is to also make love the first thing. God, we thank you for the gift of love which you have given to and for all of us. We thank you for the witness of the power of friendship in stories like the story of Derek and Matthew. Thank you for the ways that you've made it possible for each and every one of us here to become a part of a community that prioritizes love 
pray that you would help us 